Hey everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I gotta ask. It was announced earlier today that Josh Allen was going to be the cover athlete for Madden 2024. Was this the this the right choice by EA? Uh, I guess. The, I mean, the cover athlete really has never been a big thing to me. It's just like, okay, you're on the cover of a video game. So, I, for me personally, I'm going to say no. Part, I think that this kind of just reminds everybody that Josh Allen is still viewed as the golden boy, even though last year was a bit of a disappointment. Because, honestly, I thought it was going to be Jalen Hurts or Jay Jettas. I'm kind of surprised that Josh got it. But, I mean, he was going to get it at some point, so I guess we shouldn't be too surprised. But uh, speaking of Josh Allen, we are going to talk some of the Buffalo Bills' recent free agent signings as well as finding homes for a slate of other free agents around the NFL landscape. We're going to take a look at the current standings of the NBA Finals ahead of tonight's Game 3. And then with our Game Believable or Buffoonery, we're going to touch on a couple of topics, including the Mavs' attempt to form a big three of Luka, Kyrie, and LeBron. But before we get to any of that, please share check out the export dynamic I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, like I just mentioned, Buffalo has been pretty busy with regards to adding players to the defensive side of the ball. First, they extended defensive tackle Ed Oliver on a four-year deal worth $68 million and $45 mil guaranteed. They also signed veteran outside linebacker Leonard Floyd to a one-year deal, as well as cornerback Cam Dantzler to the roster. Like I said, it's been a busy defensive week for the Bills. How are you liking these moves so far? I think they're good. I mean, when you extend a guy like Ed Oliver, who is one of the better, excuse me, one of the better defensive linemen in the NFL, it's always a smart, good, a smart move. Especially, I think they got him for a steal with his contract, in my opinion. Um, and the Leonard Floyd signing is a really great signing. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, these past three years, he's had nine sacks all three years. And so you paired that up with Mac, with potentially getting a healthy Von Miller. Like if those guys can stay healthy, like that could be um, some addition that could potentially put you over the top as far as like making it, at least making it to the Super Bowl, if not winning it. Um, so I really like their signings. Yeah, I like him as well. Cam Dantzler, I don't know if he's going to end up making a roster, but I do feel like that's a solid death piece in the secondary. Like you mentioned with Leonard Floyd, I think that's a great move, especially because we saw how good he was when he had another star pass rusher beside him and Aaron Donald, like you mentioned, had over nine sacks each of the past three years. And then with a healthy Von Miller, he could have that type of production, if not more, especially because we all know that the Bills' pass rush kind of fell off once Cam, I mean, Vaughn suffered that torn ACL, so it was good to see him there. And then, yeah, like you mentioned with Ed Oliver, especially considering how much other money guys like Deron Payne and Javon Hargrave and uh, Quentin Williams are expected to get, the fact that they were able to lock him up for 68 mil, like you said, feels like an absolute steal. Uh, let's continue on with some uh, defensive talk. Uh, defensive end Yannick Ngakwe, a guy who I'll admit I am surprised, is still a free agent. In a recent interview, talked about what he's looking to find with his next team. And here are some of the qualities that he said that he was looking for. 
He said, I definitely want to play for a contender. Play for a team and organization that wants to win a Super Bowl. Now, for everybody who knows, Yannick has bounced around a bit. Was initially drafted to the Jazz before being traded to Minneapolis uh, to play for the Vikings. Then ended up getting traded to Baltimore, I believe that same season, before he didn't re-sign there. And then since has played with the Raiders and the Colts. So he's bounced around quite a bit. Has seen quite a few different front offices and teams. But... Because he said he wants to play for a contender, I think he could be a good piece for one. What team do you think would be the best fit for him? Um, a contender. I'm. I hate to say it, but I would probably say the Chiefs, just because they have the um, they have George Karloftis. He came off a really solid past year, and Frank Clark. He was good in the playoffs, but he really wasn't productive in the regular season, so, and I think they're a team that could always use more pass rush. I feel that. Um, that would be a good fit. I'm going to say the San Francisco 49ers. Everybody knows that Nick Bosa is the man coming off of the edge, and then by bringing in Hargrave, that helps to kind of shore up that defensive tackle position. But opposite of Nick Bosa, has been kind of stagnant. And so I think that bringing in a guy like Yanni could really help them out. I think that because they are a championship-caliber team, they could bring him in relatively cheap, and he could be that second edge rusher, create a really, really strong duo in San Francisco. Uh, but let's continue to talk about um, Yannick Ngakwe, more specifically his teammate with the Colts, cornerback Isaiah Rogers, who it was announced that the league was investigating for gambling on games and bet, including bets involving the Colts. Um, it's been substantiated that he has had placed several different bets over that time. Um, Birch reportedly could have him facing a lifetime ban from the NFL if they are substantiated because uh, reportedly he placed hundreds of bets that were worth $25 to $50. We kind of talked about this a bit ago with Jamison Williams um, and the issues that were going on with both the Lions and the Commanders and, of course, with Calvin Ridley, which led him to face a year-long suspension. But with the prevalence of sports betting becoming such a key part of life, not just for athletes but for fans as well, do you think we are going to start seeing more gambling suspensions around the league? Yeah, I definitely think it might end up being a slow matriculation um, of more suspension centered around sports gambling. I, Me personally, I don't get it because it's like, you know, like if you're betting on your own team, I probably, yeah, that's a no. But at the end of the day, like, bro, if I want to place a $20 bet on a team that I'm not, that's not my own, I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, like, especially to say, like, he might receive a lifetime ban. Like, it's not like he's, it's not like he's fixing NFL games. He's just placing a bet. So I, I personally just don't get that whole notion of like, okay, we're making sports betting legal now. So like, yeah, it's just always been a weird thing to me of like, I understand like, hey, probably don't. Like, if you want to place the stipulation of, like, hey, you can't place bets on your own team because, like, then you could potentially, like, do something to, like, alter a game, which I think will be very difficult to do in the stance of an NFL game. But, like, I really have never understood this whole, like, anti-betting stance that the NFL is taking. I think that it's 
think it is weird um because the main thing or at least what leads to the trouble has led to the suspension is of course betting on your own team or betting while in nfl facilities now of course like you said like when you bet on your own team it does look very suspect because even if you are a guy who might ride the bench the fact is you're betting on your team and that could end up being costly and kind of disrupts the credibility of the game so i understand the frustration with that but if you're just like betting doing little bets like you said on just any other game i think it's kind of petty that you can't face such a substantial suspension just because you do it at the facilities but I mean, I guess the NFL is really trying to crack down on doing it around the facilities or doing it on games. So I do think more suspensions are bound to happen. I just hope that players kind of take note of this and realize is betting $25, $50 on whatever, is it really worth you losing millions and millions of dollars on long-term and potential lifetime suspensions? So I hope it doesn't lead to that, but who knows? But all right, let's go ahead and turn on to a more fun and lighthearted topic. There are quite a few free agents around the league. And with mandatory minicamps coming up for every uh, franchise, let's try to look at some potential homes for some free agents. And we're going to start off with quarterback with veteran Teddy Bridgewater. What do you think would be a good fit for him? This could be a realistic one um, or just a team that you think he would have a lot of success with. I'm going to go with a team that's had a lot of questions during the offseason around quarterback. I'm going to go with the 49ers. Mm, okay, so it'd be what? Teddy, Brock, Trey, and Sam Darnold. That'd be a very interesting quarterback room. I'm going to say the Minnesota Vikings just because Kirk Cousins, this is pretty much his prove-it year. If he doesn't do well, he's gone. If he messes around, gets into the – deep playoff run maybe even a Super Bowl he could spend the rest of his career there we don't really know but either way if something were to happen to him they don't have much depth behind him I believe uh Nick Bullins would be their backup at this stage I would take Teddy over Nick Nolans and plus it'd be a nice little reunion back in Minnesota all right Ezekiel Elliott um Zeke, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Buffalo Bills um I said the Rams I like Cam Akers, and I think that Cam Akers has kind of turned a corner with his play towards the end of last season, but they still could use help in that run game. Kyron Williams is fine, but I don't think he could really do it. I think that having a veteran like Zeke there would be a really big help and help get the ball out of Matthew Stafford's hands. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who it's come out that on Sunday he's going to head to Nashville to Venice, visit the Tennessee Titans. A move to me, and I think you, that doesn't make much sense, but hey. It could be interesting. So, uh, where do you think D-Hop should sign? Baltimore. Oh, that would be amazing. Um, I actually said the Detroit Lions. One, because I feel like if he's not coming to Baltimore, I don't want him in the AFC. And I think that Detroit is a team that's obviously on the come up. Uh, Jared Goff has been getting a lot of praise, not just from his coaches, but from people around the league, and rightfully so. Amon Ross St. Brown is a bad dude, but with Jameson Williams going to be suspended the first eight games of the season, he needs somebody else on the outside who can help wreak some havoc, and I think DeAndre Hopkins could be that guy. All right, let's go ahead and talk tight ends. Cameron Brake, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Mm. I'm going to say... I'm going to say the Raiders. I could see that. I said the Bengals. Um, they did bring in Irv Smith on a one-year deal. 
Uh, but other than that, they haven't done much at the tight end position, which has been kind of surprising. I think Cam Brake could be that red zone threat for him um, and kind of use his big body to make more plays than they've had in the past at the position. All right, a guy you're quite familiar with, offensive tackle Taylor Lewan. Uh, That's tough because I don't know if he's even going to play football anymore. But if he does, I would say... That's really, really hard. I would say, um, no, because they signed the tackle, I think. Who were you going to say? I was going to say Chicago. Uh, Chicago could still use them. I mean, they drafted Darnell Wright. And I don't actually remember who their right tackle is. Uh, yes, I do. It's a rookie from last year whose name escapes me. But Chicago would make sense, honestly. Um, Is that your choice? Yeah, that's my choice. I'm going to say Tampa. Um, John, Donovan Smith is gone, which is fair. He cost a lot of money and wasn't playing well. And Tristan Wurst is great, but the question is, do you want to keep him at right tackle and move him over to left? They have uh, Luke Gedeke, who they drafted a couple years ago, who could possibly do it. But I do think that Taylor Lewan, with him being a veteran, and if he's 100% healthy, I think that that's a big upgrade over what they currently have. And even if it's just for a one-year thing, I think you have to do whatever you can to keep whoever you have at quarterback, whether it be um, Blake, I mean, uh, what's his name? Baker Mayfield, John Wolford, uh quarterback from Kyle Trask. No matter who it is, you got to try to keep him upright, and I think that Taylor Lewan will help with that. All right, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball with Frank Clark. Frank Clark, I mean, I probably honestly can see him resigning in KC for like a cheap deal. I said, this is where I see the Bears making some moves because they have been really, really quiet in terms of adding a pass rusher. They added some interior D linemen during the draft, but not so much during uh, free agency. And I think that Frank Clark could be a big boost over what they already have, even though, like you mentioned, he is a bit inconsistent during the regular season. All right, cornerbacks with Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters, Andy, because they don't have to go step on. This is where I got Baltimore chiming in. I like Rocky Sin. I like that move, but I think that bringing back Marcus Peters is a better move. I think he's going to be much better a year removed from that ACL injury. He's had more time to recover. He knows the defense. And, I mean, he's always a blast to watching that defense, so I hope Baltimore re-signs him. All right, last but not least, we have safety Adrian Amos, former Green Bay Packer. Um, safety, um... I'm going to say Pittsburgh because I feel like they need a consistent safety alongside Minka. I actually almost did say Pittsburgh. I like DeMonte Casey, but I do think that Adrian Amos is an upgrade over him. Um, I said the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, everybody knows that their secondary is a bit lackluster, for lack of a better word. And I think that bringing in Adrian Amos provides them with a proven veteran to play alongside Trevon Morig, or if they want to have – Maury come off the bench and start Adrian Amos and have him start alongside the safety who's just in Philly whose name escapes me. And I remember when I don't care. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Starting off in Jacksonville, um, we kind of talked about Calvin Ridley a bit ago as he missed this whole past season with a gambling suspension. But this year, he's in a new surroundings with a new quarterback and expected to do some big things. Um, Bucky Brooks of the Move the Six podcast thought highly of the receiver and said, by the end of 2023, we'll be talking about Calvin Ridley as one of the premier wide receivers in the league. Believable or buffoonery, Calvin Ridley will be a top five wideout by the end of this season. I'm going to have to say buffoonery just because I do think Calvin Ridley is going to have a really good season. I wouldn't just make the leap to say he'll be a top five receiver. I can see top ten. Yeah. Yeah, we're in agreement. I'm also calling buffoonery on that as well. Uh, continuing on with players who were a bit disappointed last year, Mac Jones, quarterback for the New England Patriots, talked about this upcoming season and how he expects better for himself in a recent interview where he said, I'm going to do everything I can to earn the respect of everybody in this building again. Sometimes the most confident people come from a year where they might not have been their best. Believable or buffoonery, Mac Jones is said to have the best year of his career. I'm I'm going to say yes because I think um, I think he has that chip on his shoulder. The weapons that they improved, they aren't necessarily super great, but they're an upgrade over what he's had in the past. So I can see him having the best season so far. Yeah, I'm actually in agreement with you. I mean, you kind of hit it on the head, and with return with regards to what they're bringing in, Juju Smith Schuster is now their new number one wide receiver. I would take him over Jacoby Myers. Um, I'm still on the Kayshawn Butte train. I think he's going to mess around and have a really good year as a six-round pick. Tight end room has improved, um, replacing John New Smith with Mike Jasicki, which makes y'all better, as well as weekends a divisional opponent. So I think this could be a really big year for um, Mac Jones. I still think that as of this moment, uh, barring some injuries to the other three AFC East teams, they still finish fourth in the division. But I do think that this could be a big year for Mac Jones and that he could turn some heads. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Dallas Cowboys, who always believe that it is their year. But Michael Parsons is saying that this could actually be different. He said, you just feel it in the room. Everybody is like, this got to be the year. I'm hoping we go all the way. Believable or buffoonery, it really is the year for them boys. I'm always going to say buffoonery. But the reason I'm going to say buffoonery um isn't just because I don't like the Cowboys at all, but, like, people f- are failing to remember, like, that Prescott. Didn't he, like, tie the lead for most interceptions last year? I believe so, and he missed, like, four or five games. Yeah, and it's like, what? If they get, like, the Dak Prescott at, their, at his best, um, and the way that they even proved their defense, I could realistically say it. But I can realistically see it to an extent, but I I just don't know what that they're gonna get. So I'm gonna say buffoonery. Yeah, at this present moment, I'm gonna say buffoonery as well. But I do I feel more confident about the roster that they have at this moment than the one they had last year. Like you said, I mean they've made good improvements. Like they've bolstered that wide receiver room. Bringing in Stephon Gilmore was a great addition. I like that they're moving Michael Parsons to DN full-time, giving some of their younger linebackers a shot. So I think I'll say this. While I don't view them as 
Super Bowl, a Super Bowl team, it would not shock me if a few months from now we see them either winning the NFC East or being a real strong contender for the NFC Championship, if they can stay healthy. I think, like you mentioned, it kind of hinges a lot on Dak Prescott and what he's able to do because I think everywhere else, with maybe the exception of tight end and offensive line, they seem to be pretty strong. I just don't know if Dak is going to be able to carry them where they need to go. All right, last but not least, we're going to talk running back. And instead of doing a believable or buffoonery, we're doing a would you rather. Dalvin Cook's name has been brought up quite a bit with regards to whether or not the Minnesota Vikings are going to cut him. And with the possibility of that occurring, it's been reported that Dalvin Cook has narrowed down his choices to either Buffalo or Miami if he's released. Uh, reportedly, in the event that he's released, uh, Cook has reportedly said he wants to either go to Miami since he's from there and has made it known through sources he'd like to play for the Dolphins or he would like to play with his brother James in Buffalo. So, in your opinion, Ethan, would you rather see Dalvin Cook sign with the Dolphins, the Bills, or stay in Minnesota? Sign with the Dolphins. Um, it's his hometown. And I I just, like, I have a love-hate relationship with the Bills. Like, I want, like, I want them to kind of be more successful just to kind of crash this Chiefs parade and Chiefs party that's been going on but it's also like kind of like you stated earlier like I'm I don't like the fact that they're like making Josh Allen the golden boy and like overlooking the obvious mistakes that he's made as a quarterback and just the stigma around like you know he's a dual threat guy and he'll take off and run and try to run people over and do all of these like crazy things and when he does it, he's like a gritty, tough, hard-nosed quarterback. And then when a guy like Lamar Jackson takes off and runs, oh, he's supposed to be a running back. So I'm, I would say Miami. I would say Minnesota, mainly because of Justin Jefferson. Everybody knows Justin Jefferson at this very moment is my favorite player in the league. And as talented and as amazing as he is, I think it's doing him a disservice to have the Vikings become an incredibly pass-heavy offense because at that point your body's going to get run down. Defenses are obviously going to start game planning against you. You're going to face more double and possible triple teams. And we know Kirk Cousins is not a guy who should be throwing the ball 40 plus times a game. And I know that Dalvin Cook's time with Minnesota has been kind of been marred with injuries, but when he has been good, he's really helped to open up their offense and has made them a really dynamic threat. And so I think that Minnesota would be smart to keep him in tow. I I know he's expensive, but still, what better option right now at running back is there? I don't think there's another running back you could possibly get realistically that gives you more than what Dalvin Cook has already given you. And so because of that, I think it's just cheaper to keep her and either ride it out, even if it's not beyond this year. I just think it makes the most sense to keep him around. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to NBA updates, starting off with our Mamba players of the first games. First two games of the NBA Finals. Um, out of the Eastern Conference, I'm going Gabe Vincent. And Western Conference, I'm going Nikola Jokic. How about you? Um, Eastern, I, well, Western, definitely Nikola Jokic. Eastern, yeah, I got to go. No, I, I'm actually going Duncan Robinson. That's fair. Because Duncan bought out 10 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. All right, since it's only 
one series going on. We can just do one takeaway from what we've seen so far. So what's your biggest takeaway from the uh, early onset of the NBA Finals? Um, I think my biggest takeaway is, is this NBA Finals, even though it isn't the most, it's not the sexy names or the sexy teams attached to it, it's going to be some of the best like coaching you'll ever see. Because um, I think this NBA Finals is going to be won by the team that makes the most adjustments. Like game one, you saw Nikola Jokic went, went insane. I think he had a triple-double. And unfortunately, it might seem weird, but the adjustment that Miami made was they took out Caleb Martin, inserted Kevin Love, took away some of the rebounds. He got some extra rebounds that they, they desperately needed. But he also was more physical to play Aaron Gordon from the power forward standpoint. And they took away, like, they, they basically forced Nikola Jokic to just be a scorer. And throughout the his, throughout these playoffs, all the games that Denver lost, Nikola Jokic scored 40 plus, 40 plus points, including game two. So I wonder how Mike Malone's going to adjust today in game three. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, for me, you kind of touched on it a bit when we were talking about um, the NBA Finals breakdown last week. But my biggest takeaway is Bam Adebayo's aggression is finally on display. We all know he's not going to shut down Nikola Jokic. Nobody is. And that's okay. But what Bam Adebayo can do is be more aggressive on both sides of the floor. Yeah, you might not be able to stop Nikola Jokic from dropping 40, but what you can do is make sure that you're being aggressive in the paint and providing points of your own. Because too many times this series, Bam Adebayo has been a bit of an afterthought. Everybody's talked about Jimmy. In this last series, we talked about Caleb Martin. Recently, we're talking about Gabe Vincent, like you said, Duncan Robinson. But Bam Adebayo has kind of flown under the radar when he's supposed to be the second best player on this team. And so I think that game two was a nice reminder of just how good he can be when he does put his foot on the gas and really is kind of forcing the point as opposed to just kind of waiting for things to come to him. So if he's able to do that more, I think that the Miami Heat are going to be in good shape to be competitive throughout the rest of this series. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some league news, talking about some head coaches. So it was kind of speculated that the Detroit Pistons were interested in Monty Williams, and now it is official, uh, signing the former Suns quarterback to a six-year, $72 million deal to become the franchise's new head coach. How do you like this move? I think it's a great move for Detroit. Um, you have a guy that has shown his early – I know he had some rough stints early on in his career, but more recently he's shown to be a very capable coach from a winning standpoint. I mean, he made it to the NBA Finals. Lost events, arguably one of the greatest NBA Finals runs in recent history from Giannis. Um, but yeah, like, and he, the team is young, so they'll listen to him. He doesn't have to necessarily go through the whole process of like managing super big egos from guys like a Devin Booker and a Kevin Durant and a Chris Paul because the guys that, that are on this team, they're um they're young and upcoming like K K Cunningham, he's a right of the summer. Jay Ivy. They I think the only hard part is gonna be figuring out what they're gonna do with like some of their talent and center because they have you know, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Dern, 
who showed flashes last year, and James Wiseman. So that's a crowded five-man spot. Um, but I, I like the move overall. Yeah, I agree. And then, I mean, just to add to that, I mean, this is now a team that doesn't really have many expectations. I mean, the Phoenix Suns, you go to the finals a couple years back, everybody's hoping that you get there again. Then you go out there and you trade for Kevin Durant. Everyone's expecting you to be at least um, an NBA Finals contender, not nonetheless actually bringing some championships home. And so instead, now you go to Detroit, like you mentioned, that's an incredibly young team that has a lot of young and up-and-coming talent that you can really shape mold, really shape and mold. I think that because of that, I really like this move a lot. And I know a lot of people are, like, criticizing the contract, but, I mean, hey, if you want somebody, sometimes you got to pay money for them, and I think that's what Detroit did. And I don't think – if they have a lot of success in the next few years, I think no one's going to be looking at this contract as a big deal. All right, continuing on with the conversation of coaching hires, the Phoenix Suns decided to bring in Frank Vogel as their new head coach, um, the first head coaching job he's had since being fired from the Lakers um, a couple of years back. During his introductory press conference, he was asked about defense and more specifically DeAndre Ayton, and this is what he had to say. I think he can be one of the best centers in the league. There are still areas that he can grow offensively, but I'm intent on really connecting with him and restoring him to an all-star level player so with Frank Vogel in tow do you think that this might be the best thing to happen to DeAndre Ayton as he'll be able to unlock him as a superstar or do you think we're still going to see the same DeAndre Ayton that we've seen over the past few years um I'm going to say for the time being I think it's a good thing for him I think the I mean, I think the relationship between DeAndre Aiden and Monty Williams was very obviously fractured. And if you have a guy that's coming in saying like, hey, I want to connect with you and put you and um, get you to an all-star level um, play, mm-hmm. then I, I'll believe it to, I'll believe it till I don't see it. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Like you said, I do think that having a coach who singles you out and specifically says they want to work with you as a plus. But, I mean, we've seen quite a few times it seemed like Monty and DeAndre weren't exactly getting on in the best of terms. And, I mean, before this start of last season, everybody was kind of expecting him to end up leaving in free agency, which he almost did end up in uh, Indiana, but things changed. I'm excited to see what this Suns team looks like. I'm not this. Is, I'll say this. I'm not as excited about this signing as I am with Monty Williams, but I do think that it is a step in the right direction for Phoenix. All right, let's go ahead and talk some player news, more specifically Damian Lillard, a guy who's been a topic of conversation quite a bit because everybody's wondering whether or not he is going to be traded from the Portland Trailblazers. He was asked about that possibility as well as where he would like to go if he were to be traded and had this to say. Man, Miami, obviously. Bam is my dog. Brooklyn is another obvious one because Michael Bridges is my dog too. Other teams in the mix to possibly trade for him have been the Boston Celtics and the New York Knicks. So for the sake of conversation, let's not think about how much it would cost to actually get him in terms of trade compensation, but let's say the options are the Celtics, Knicks, Nets, and Miami. Which team do you think are the best fit for him? For Dane? Yeah. I'll list them in order. One, Miami. Two, Brooklyn. Three, Boston. 
Yeah, I uh, actually am in total agreement with you in terms of fits. I mean, especially because I think that we've seen it with Miami during this playoff run. Jimmy Butler's the man. Nobody denies this. And it's great that they have role players who have been able to step up. But sometimes you just need somebody else to take over a game. And I think that bringing in Damian Lillard would help them to do that. Um, with Brooklyn, I would like that move a lot because I do think that him and Michael Bridges could do some damage together. I don't think that would warrant a championship, but I think it'd be fun. And then Boston, I'd be very interested to see how that dynamic would work. I feel like Jalen Brown would have to be traded in the process. I don't think there's a world where you can keep Tatum, uh, Lillard, and Brown, especially with those contracts, but I think that would be a fun trio to watch if it were to come into fruition. So who knows? But uh, continuing on with this conversation, which team, you know what, excluding the Heat, which team do you think will give him the best chance of winning a ring? I mean, out of, so between Brooklyn and, and Boston? Yeah, and if you want to throw the Knicks in there too. Boston? Because, I mean, even if you lose Jalen Brown, they still have the most – in some ways, they have the most talent around that you can use, like, around um, Dame and Jason Tatum. Like, Brooklyn is good, but they're young. They still have to grow and develop. And But, like, Boston is essentially, for the past couple of years, they've been a championship-caliber team. It's just been, like, they lose, they'll, they'll lose in tough series. Like this year, they I wouldn't have been surprised if we saw Boston in the finals after this series against Miami. Right. But I would have to say Boston because New York they're good, but I think they have they have holes on their roster. Um. Again, Brooklyn is really good, but like I think that they're so young. It kind of be in my in my opinion, it would kind of be like he leaves. Portland for a flashier version of Portland in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good comparison, honestly. But, yeah, I would agree with you in terms of Boston, especially because, I mean, even without him, they've gotten pretty close to doing so already, and I think that he, him coming could possibly be the final piece, depending on what else they were to do with that roster. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk some injury news. Since the first series of the playoffs, uh, guard – for the Miami Heat, Tyler Harrell has been out of action with a broken hand. However, it seems like he is possibly nearing a return, but reportedly he's having some trepidation about returning to the court. Um, it's been said that I spoke with Tyler Harrell ahead of game two pregame routine, and he told me he experiences both soreness and swelling in his right hand after shooting, and he can feel the soreness when he's making a follow-through shooting motion. He also shared his consideration of not wanting to come back and mess up the rhythm of the team. While there was hope he'd return for game two as he's participating in all aspects of team practice, he's making sure the time is right for his return to the court. Now, when he has played, Harrell averaged 20.1 points per game, 5.4 boards, 4.2 assists, and shot 43% from the field this season prior to his injury. However, do you think Tyler Harrell coming back would mess up the flow of the Heat, or do you think that he would be able to easily transition back into the lineup? Um, I don't think it'll be. I think it depends. Like, if he comes back and he's actually healthy, 
and he's 100% where he can actually really contribute, I think it'll be worth bringing him back. But if he comes back and he's not healthy, then I think maybe just roll with what you have because he could potentially be, especially when it comes down to, like, something that Miami needs is they need scoring and they need offense. And we know that's what Tyler Hero is known for. So is it worth bringing a guy that you want to put the, that you want to look to score if he's physical a physical ailment of his like hinders his scoring, which then will um, hamper your offense? So I it's tough. I'm I probably would still say like, hey, throw him out there at least for like if he's healthy enough, if you think he's ready to come back. Throw him out there for a game, see what it looks like, and Eric Spoelstra will make an adjustment based on that decision, based on that one game. Um, especially if it's like a game three or a game four, where like it's not an elimination game, you're still playing, you're still um, fighting. So yeah. Do you think we see him the nine in game three? I wouldn't be surprised. I feel you. I, I think, like you said. It's the earlier you can test him out and see how it goes, the better. Because like you said, you don't want to run the risk of playing him in a potential elimination game and then he's not ready, he's missing shots, and it's hurting y'all down the stretch. So I think it, for me, I would either try him out either tonight or for game four, or I possibly wouldn't play him at all just to be safe. But all right, one more thing before we move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. NBA commentator Jeff Van Gundy had quite a few suggestions regarding how to make the NBA better, and this is what he said. Eliminate free throws until the last four minutes. If you get fouled on a shooting foul, you just get the points. You don't go to the line, and you don't go to the line for a technical free throws. They're just points. Then I would eliminate halftime. I think halftime is the biggest waste of time, or I'd reduce it to five minutes so you could go to the bathroom and come back. Damian Lillard took to Twitter to agree with Jeff Van Gundy to a point saying, I'm with him on halftime, LOL, I don't F with it. Do you think that either eliminating free throws to the final few minutes of the games or shortening halftime, do you think either of those things would make the NBA better? I think eliminating the halftime would. Eliminating the free throws, I think, doesn't because then it takes away, like, it's a part of the game. Like, if you can't make free throws, then, like, there's something that you need to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I get towards the end of the game, it's crunch time, so you want to see people step up to the line with crunch, with crunch time free throws, but it's also like, you know, we see we ha- we see how free throw discrepancy can be a big part of a game. Like we've seen, t- like we can see how free throws can win a game, not even in a crunch. Like if you have a team that has more free throw attempts and more free throw makes, they can essentially win you a game. So yeah, I I can agree with the halftime. Like I, it's one of those things where I think like you have people go out for such a long period of time. Um, I think the only reason why I probably should stand is like if you go to an actual game, more times than not, you try to get concessions and stuff during halftime. And if you shorten that time, then it's going to make it harder to do that. But 
I can see why players don't like it. I mean, also adding on to the halftime piece, I mean, that's where most um, the ESPNs and the TNTs and the other broadcasters, that's where they make their money. One, because they get a lot more ad revenue there because you're going to see a lot more commercials and also that's what the analysis are talking analysts I'm sorry talking about the game and what they've seen and things like that and so I don't think that they would ever change that just because if that's the case then that's going to take money out of broadcasters and uh, channels uh, pockets so I don't see that taking place but I think halftime could absolutely be shortened just because I mean like you said after about five minutes you could you could come back on like come back onto the court sure you might need a break or whatever but i think that sometimes like if it's a blowout game do you really need a 15 20 minute halftime no um maybe have longer halftimes like in the playoffs or in the finals or special occasions but just for a regular season game i don't think it has to be a full length type deal but all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. We got a, quite a few juicy topics, but let's start off with Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. Prior to the start of the NBA Finals, uh, Jimmy Butler said in an interview that he wants to be a Heat forever and says that this will be the last jersey he will wear. Believable or buffoonery, Jimmy Butler will go down as one of the top Miami Heat players of all time if he was to finish his career there. Believable, because I think I can only name right now off the top of my head. I can probably name at least three or four guys, so he would be in the top five. So, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Alonzo Mourning, Jimmy Butler. If he wins a ring this year, does that put him over Mourning for you? Um. No, because if I'm not mistaken, Zoe has one ring as well. But um, he also like he he was jacked. If I'm not he, I don't know. I think you might make them the same on par. Okay. Because I think they both just had really big impacts for Miami, and I think they both will have just one ring. Yeah. Trying to think, I know Morning was on the championship team when Dwayne Wade won his first one. But yeah. that's hard for me because think, Morning was there longer, but he was never the guy. Or at least when they had their most success, he wasn't the guy. And I think that's that's what would like make it hard for me between him and Jimmy. So we'll see. But as of right now, I think I might give the slight edge to Jimmy just because of overall impact, but it wouldn't be like by a big margin at all. Um, Moving on to the other side of the NBA Finals, Nikola Jokic, a guy who has already stamped himself as one of the most impressive centers of all time. And the praise is only going to keep coming if he were to win his first NBA championship this year. Uh, Chris Broussard in a recent interview said, if Nikola Jokic wins the championship, he's ahead of Kevin Garnett, Charles Barkley, Dirk Nowitzki when it's all said and done. And then when it's all said and done, he'll be ahead of Kevin Durant. So, believable or buffoonery, if Nikola Jokic wins a ring this year, he will already rank among several Hall of Famers. Mm, I'm going to say believable because I think I wouldn't name the Hall of Famers like he tried to do, but I definitely think, like, I mean, he's already won two MVPs. 
and he'll potentially get if he wins the championship. Like that's a lot. Like I will put, I will name one person. I will put that. I'll put him above Steve Nash already. Mm. Um, but and it's hard for me to say that because Steve Nash is one of my favorite was one of my favorite point guards growing up. But like, so I do think he would be put above. Like his career currently will be above certain guys. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't say dirt. I think because I mean. I don't know. It's just I. I just say believable, but I'm not gonna go down the path of what names I put it with, because it's just hard to do. It's very hard to do, and it, like we talk about all the time when comparing players and who's better. Like there's never real consensus. I'll say this: I I would put him over Charles Barkley if he wanted, but I don't know if I would. I wouldn't say Dirk right now, and I don't know about KG. But I do think he would kind of raise his stock as compared to some guys who are Hall of Famers who haven't had the accolades that he has had. All right, keeping things in Denver, uh, Aaron Gordon, a teammate of Nikola Jokic, has been highly complimentary of his team. Um, And spoke highly of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and said, I will put them in the top three duos in the NBA and not three and not two. Believable or buffoonery, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are the best duo in the NBA right now. Mm, I would say right now, yes, because Nikola Jokic is probably arguably the best player. And like, now that Jamal Murray is finally healthy, you're saying that like, he's a really, really good second option. Um, like initially, my first thought would be Jalen, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. But then, like after those guys, because it's like Steph and Clay. Like Steph is still all world, but Clay has fallen off. Anthony Davis and LeBron—they're another duo. But like we saw, like they aren't the same caliber of players they were a couple of years ago. Um, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant would be another argument. But I, I probably will get it. I'll say believable. I'll say believable as well. I would agree with you that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are the closest to them. And then maybe KD and D-Book at three. But at this moment, I mean, I haven't seen anybody be better than... And I'll say this. In the Western Conference, I have not seen anybody play better then Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray has stepped up a lot. Is he better than a lot of guys we just mentioned? No, but I think the weight of Nikola Jokic carries so much that it does put them over those guys. So I would say believable as well. All right, a couple more things before we get out of here. Of course, we got to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. More specifically, John Morant, who continues to be a topic of conversation as we await his impending suspension. Um, Adam Silver said that we've uncovered a fair amount of additional information. We probably could have brought it to a head now, but we've made the decision that it will be unfair to these players and these teams to announce that decision in the middle of the series. So as we await that upcoming suspension, uh, Kendrick Perkins on first take had some interesting comments about John Morant and his status in Memphis saying if another incident like this happens it might be best for him to actually get out of Memphis and go to a different organization for his own well-being. 
believable or buffoonery, John Morant would be better off with the change of scenery. Um, it's hard to say because it's like, are are people saying these as a dig at Memphis because of like the the way that Memphis is perceived by a lot of people, or is it people saying like this because? of the locker room culture of the Grizzlies. I think, I think it's more it's, so the Memphis aspect. And if it's the whole concept of, like, the Memphis aspect, then, like, like people people do stuff all the time everywhere. Like, yes, Memphis has this bad rap. Yes, thing, I'm, I'm born and raised here, haven't lived in any other city in my life. Yes, bad things happen in Memphis. Good things also happen in Memphis. And, like, if you don't live here, you won't hear about the good. You always hear about the bad. And it's also really being honest. Like, just because he lives in a city that has a certain type of reputation doesn't mean you have to try to try to fit into their reputation. Like, look at other players on this team. Look at Desmond Bain. He isn't out here trying to – he isn't out here doing – doing things that Josh doing. Look at Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson isn't doing the things that Josh doing. Tyus Jones isn't doing the things that Josh doing. None of the other players on the team are doing the things that Josh doing. But when he does it, it's like, oh, he needs to get out of Memphis. Why? No, what he needs is he needs help. He needs somebody that can hold him accountable. He needs a certain type of structure in place. He doesn't need to get out of a city that's paying him millions of dollars. He needs to grow up and like be better and like understand like hey you have an opportunity that millions of people would want and you're squandering it because you want to like portray this image of something that you might not be it's not because he's in Memphis because the reality is is like he might be he probably would be doing this anywhere else yeah I'm calling buffoonery on that as well because we talked about this when the first instance happened where people are trying to get on Memphis for the reason for Jaws' behavior. And I think that what people like to forget is it all comes down to accountability. No matter where you live, if you're going to do stupid stuff, you're going to do stupid stuff everywhere. Nobody in Memphis is like, hey, Ja, go get on social media with a gun. There is nobody telling him to do that. While there may be people around town doing that themselves where they're showing off their firearms they're doing that everywhere else literally politicians are doing it in their family photos and yet nobody seems to bat an eye at that i just think that this is another case of memphis suffering and being blamed for the actions of an immature 23 24 year old when in all actuality where he is has nothing to do with that because you hit it on the head i mean desmond bain isn't out here doing this um, Jaron Jackson isn't out here doing this. Tyus Jones isn't out here doing it. And last time I checked, they play in Memphis too. So I just don't think that Memphis should be blamed for the actions of somebody because that's like that's blaming that's like blaming the whole Zion Williamson stuff. That's like blaming his actions on New Orleans. That brother made those decisions. That has nothing to do with where he lives because a city or town is not forcing somebody to act a fool. They are doing that all on their own. So I'm calling buffoonery because immaturity goes everywhere. It's not just in one place. And I, again, like you, I don't like that. It seems like Memphis is always cast in such a negative light 
because sure it has its problems but every place has its problems too and it just feels like Memphis only gets talked about when bad things happen and that's not fair but alright last question before we go on and get out of here everyone's been talking about the possibility of Kyrie Irving joining LeBron however most of those conversations have been centered around them taking place in LA but what if that reunion were to take place in Dallas? Reportedly, the point guard has been lobbying for the front office to try to get LeBron ja for LeBron James and has had conversations with him about joining him in Dallas. Reportedly, the Dallas Mavericks did attempt to trade for LeBron earlier in the season when the season was looking rough. However, the Lakers turned it down simply because they did not have enough to do the trade. And uh, it was reported by Javon Buha. If Dallas is offering Luka Duncic for James, then yes, one would assume the Lakers will listen. I think it's pretty safe to say that the Dallas Mavericks are not going to do that. But let's say in an alternate universe, there is a big three of Luka, Kyrie Irving, and LeBron James. Believable or buffoonery, the Dallas Mavericks would win a ring with that big three. Buffoonery. I just don't think it'll work. I don't either. Like, we talk about ball-dominant players all the time. These are three of the most ball-dominant players in the league. I don't see how this would work out at all. But it'd be interesting. Yeah. And plus, I don't think LeBron would go to Dallas. And this isn't a knock on Dallas. It's just I don't think he would go there. Unless Bronny went there, I think he'd probably just try to recruit all the players he could to L.A. as opposed to him leaving. Um, but that is it for today's show. Before we get out of here, Ethan, who you got game three tonight? Nuggets or Miami Heat? Um, I think I'm going to go Miami. Where are they playing tonight? Miami or Denver? Miami, yeah. Okay, then, yeah. If they're playing in Miami, I'm agreeing with you. I'm going to go Miami as well. Hope they pull it out. Still hoping I'm wrong on my finals predictions and Jimmy Butler gets his first ring. But thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, I mean... I'm ready for football, and I also have been, like, slowly getting back into wrestling. So, that's, all, that's kind of been fun. It has been a blast. And if you need any recommendations in terms of some good matches to watch um, during since the last time you watched wrestling, I got you. Um, I got nothing either. Like you, I'm excited for football. Can't wait for the new season to start. Um, just watched the Madden 24 trailer earlier today. Not really impressed. Also, I'm sick of the disrespect for Baltimore players because last year in the trailer, it was Marlowe getting stiff-armed by Nick Chubb, which I can't say has ever happened in an actual NFL game. And then in this year's trailers, Patrick Queen getting bulldozed by uh, Josh Allen. So, man, if you got an issue with Baltimore, just say that because I have not seen either of those things happen, and they're not going to happen. Um, but again, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.